Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 370. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone is fine and dandy. This show is sponsored by Octagon Technology. 1995 to 2015, 20 years of helping people and companies with IT projects and problems. We've just got one story. That's all we've got today. Just, just a story in a day show. But before that... Getting ready to do DIY in my house. Yes, I've got everything out there in the kitchen now is planned for me to hit it with a, an industrial sander. So I'm sanding the benches down. Oh, I don't like DIY. So I'm all prep, re- raring to go there, as you can tell. So t- today's story is, like you say, a lullaby by Anna North. Anna North graduated from the Iowa Writers' Workshop in 2009. Her fiction has appeared in Glimmer Train and in the anthology Robot Uprising, which is this where this story is taken from. Her non-fiction has appeared in Jezebel, Buzzfeed and Salon, and she is now a staff editor at the New York Times. Her first novel, America Pacifica, was published in 2011, and her second novel, The Life and Death of Sophie Stark, is forthcoming from Blue Rider Press in 2015. She lives in Brooklyn. And I'll put a little link on to Anna's site as well, so you can pop over there and just check her out. Now, this story as well is narrated by Catherine Inskip. Catherine, as you know, is our, let's call her our space expert there as well. Catherine lives, or was, an astronomer over, I think, in Germany at the time. Now, she's back in the UK, but just the knowledge she's got on, well, that was her job, you know what I mean? So we're very proud to have Catherine on. 
Catherine wears galaxies for a living and builds worlds in her spare time. She's addicted to chocolate and Japanese logic puzzles. Catherine, this is just a sweet, sweet narration. Thank you so much. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Lullaby by Anna North I never wanted to move to my grandfather's house in the first place. He died before I was born, but Mum talked all the time about what a genius he was, and that year I hated everything Mum liked. I was sixteen. My dad had died the year before, and I didn't see why I should act like anything would ever be all right. I'd pretty much stopped going to class, and I spent all my time either smoking pot with my friends or trying to crack the security protocols of mobile environments I wanted to vandalise. I'd succeeded at the latter one too many times. Most notably, when I got into our school system and changed its name in all outgoing correspondence to Grover Cleveland Advanced Penitentiary, and I was about to be expelled when Mum got a new job in her hometown and made me and my brother, Nate, pack up all of our stuff and move. My grandpa had been a roboticist before the wars, and I was holding out hope for some rusted-out mechanical arms hidden in an attic someplace. Maybe even a communication console. Grandpa's big innovation had been natural language input and output, teaching robots to accept commands in normal English and respond in kind. The complicated programming necessary for this turned out to have the side effect of drastically improving their ability to communicate with each other, and so his inventions are still listed in history books as directly contributing to the wars. Because of that, he was imprisoned by the military for the duration of the Second War and forced to work around the clock on anti-robot technology. Then, after the wars were over, he was kept under house arrest for several years and called in for questioning periodically for the rest of his life, every time somebody else got arrested for robot activity, or there were rumours of rival countries developing bot armies. I probably shouldn't have been surprised that his house had no robot parts lying around, just dust bunnies and dry leaves. The house itself was old style, and I thought it looked ridiculous. A high, pointed roof, wooden siding with the paint worn off in streaks, big shutters that rattled in the slightest wind. Grandpa had put in a centralised security system, though, so the window panes were military-grade glass that couldn't be broken, and all the doors and lights and even the water could be controlled from a panel in the middle of the house. I thought there was probably some way I could use this to prank Nate, and I made a mental note to figure out how to make the shower turn cold on command. On our first night in the house, Mom came up to my room to say goodnight. The room was huge, three times the size of the one I'd had in our apartment in the new cities, with a high ceiling that slanted down along the roofline to meet two of those unbreakable windows. What do you think, Tessa? she asked me. I shrugged. She put on her let's all be happy smile. I think you'll really like it when you get used to it, she said. Your grandfather designed it himself. He was so good at mapping things out in his head. You get that from him. I rolled my eyes. I hated her habit of pretending we were genetically related, that things like my math skills or height could be passed down from her relatives to me. 
I think she thought it was good for us to believe it. And once, when I called her on it, she said there were more ways to pass things down than just through genes. But I hated the way it cut out my birth family. Like I got nothing from them. Like in the six months before Mum and Dad adopted me, I was nothing. The truth was, I did feel like I'd gotten something from Dad. Not inherited, but learned. We were the same. Our sense of humour. The way we talked. Nate still made fun of my British either. The way we wanted to sit and work on problems and not be distracted by anything. After he died, I wouldn't let Mom hug me for weeks. It just reminded me of how alone I was. Mom gave me a kiss on the forehead as she left. Lay down and rest, she said. I was already lying down. What she'd said was a family catchphrase. When we were little, Mom used to sing us a song that Grandpa had sung to her after her mom died. Lullaby and good night, go to bed and sleep tight. Close your eyes, start to yawn pleasant dreams until dawn. Lay you down now and rest, may your slumber be blessed. Lay you down now and rest, may your slumber be blessed. We were too old for singing now, but Mom still quoted from the song, like her dad had done, a way of telling us we were safe and she was taking care of everything. I rolled over. I didn't like those words any more. After she left, I lay in bed with my mobile, looking out the window. The houses across the street looked like Grandpa's house, old and boring. I imagined families of old people playing checkers in them. Old mom, old dad, old kids with prematurely grey hair on their tiny heads. I set my mobile on the windowsill while it loaded the networks in the area. The sill was covered in silvery dust. I swiped my finger through it. Coarser than baby powder, finer than sand, with a faint metallic smell. Old house dandruff, I thought. The mobile buzzed, and I could see ten private networks in addition to the public Wi-Fi. I picked one at random, Lopez Family. I opened up the password guesser app I'd built with my friends from the Vandals Forum. It wasn't good enough yet for government or banking environments, but it could usually crack a private network, especially a small one. And it got better the more situations you tried it on, so I was excited to put it to work on a whole new set of networks. A tiny upside to moving. I typed in some of the specs of Lopez family. Residential, North American, English-based or possibly Spanish. And it got me in with about 70 seconds of waiting. A little longer than usual, but still pretty good. I poked around a bit on the Lopez's computers, but they didn't have anything interesting. I ended up mirroring their TV screen just because I could and watched old episodes of The Twilight Zone with them until I fell asleep. I heard someone got murdered there, said Matilda, ashing her cigarette. My old school in the New Cities was three floors of a high-rise, and at lunch my friends had gone down to the loading dock to smoke. So my first lunchtime at Sunnybrook High School, I followed the smell of cigarettes. The kids I found smoking behind the band room looked a little less cool than my friends back home, and they mostly ignored me, until they found out where I lived. I heard a serial killer lived there and buried all his victims in the walls, said Lucy, 
rubbing her black-rimmed eyes. That's John Wayne Gacy, I said. Nobody was murdered there. It was my grandpa's house. He died before I was born. Your grandpa was Edward Spiner, asked Matilda. How do you know about Edward Spiner, I asked. I was always careful talking about my grandpa with strangers. Robots made some people angry, even thirty years after the wars. He was a world-famous roboticist who came from our town, she said. Of course I know about him. Lucy stubbed out her cigarette. Your grandpa was a roboticist, she asked. Isn't that basically like being a Nazi? I started into the speech I'd heard Mom give hundreds of times. He really regretted what happened with his work. The robots he invented were supposed to help people. Matilda rolled her eyes. Whatever, she said. I bet the ghosts of all the people who died in the wars are still haunting that creepy old house. It's not haunted, I said. It's totally normal. Actually, it's nice. I couldn't believe I was defending the house I'd never wanted to move into, but I couldn't let Matilda's dumb idea go unchallenged. My dad always said that ghosts were a silly superstition, and that what went on in the real world was much more interesting anyway. Yeah, asked Lucy. Then how come the renters left? There were no renters, I said. It's just been empty since he died. Lucy shook her head. A family lived in that house, like, five years ago. The boy was in my sister's class. They stayed, like, two months, and the man left and never came back. The boy said the house was haunted. He said the ghosts turned the lights on and off. Scary, I said. I wasn't impressed. He said the ghosts locked the doors so they were trapped inside. The bell rang. At my old school, I routinely got detention for coming back late for lunch. But now I was ready to get back to class. That sounds like bullshit, I said. Did you rent the house out after Grandpa died? I asked Mom. We were eating pizza off paper plates, the boxes of our kitchen still stacked around us. Nate was taking all the olives off his slice and leaving them in a greasy pile. For a little while, she said. Why do you ask? People at school were talking about it, I told her. They said the house was haunted. Nate perked up. Is that true, Mom? he asked. Are there ghosts? Nate had believed in Santa until he was nine, and I had to tell him the truth so he wouldn't get made fun of. Now, at eleven... He was convinced that dinosaurs still existed, concealed in top-secret government labs. No, Nate, there are no ghosts. Mom looked at me sharply. The renters found a better deal on another house. They just made up that crazy story so they could break their lease. Yes. And you let them? I asked. Mom sighed and took a bite of pizza. If they were willing to make up ghost stories, she said, I thought they might trash the house next. Or just stop paying. After that, we decided renting it out was just too much trouble. OK, I said. I was glad to have a normal story to show Lucy and Matilda I wasn't living in a haunted house. But I must not have seemed convinced to Mom. 
Sweetie, she said, this is a good place. I really want you to feel at home here. I wanted to explain that you can't just tell someone to feel at home somewhere and expect them to do it. Instead, I said, it's nice, and threw my empty pizza plate in the trash. Upstairs, I started unpacking. I had more space in the new room, but the photo collage of all of my friends from the new cities looked lonely on the empty wall. I noticed the dust was gone from the windowsill. Mum must have swept when she came home from work. It was sad how much she wanted me to like this place, as if that were going to make up for everything. I didn't stay up late, but in the morning I was incredibly tired. My legs were heavy, my eyeballs throbbed. I reached out to shut off my alarm, but it hadn't gone off. I rubbed my eyes and looked at the clock. 3am. Out the window the sky was black, but under the glare of the overhead light fixture the room was morning bright. I must have fallen asleep with the light on, I thought. But when I got up and flipped the switch, it wouldn't turn off. I flipped it again, toggled it back and forth, but the light burned on. I thought about the renters. I wasn't scared, but I was curious. I left the room and walked down the hallway, stepping softly so I wouldn't wake Mom or Nate. Their rooms were dark. The hallway itself was dark. The doorway to my room was a bright hole in the black. In the downstairs bathroom I flicked the light on and off and on again easily. My face in the mirror was still puffy with sleep. The kitchen smelled like pizza and the organic cleaning spray Mum always used, even though it didn't really get things clean. I didn't know my way around yet. I felt along the wall for the light, but my hands met only cold tile. Then, noiselessly, as my fingers searched the grout, the light came on. The light switch was all the way across the room. I stood for a second, completely frozen. A baby cockroach skittered out of the trash. I listened for a moment and heard only the wind. I thought of our kitchen knives, still packed away in boxes. I crossed the kitchen floor, all my muscles tensed against each other. I reached out for the light switch. But before I could flip it, the room went dark again, sudden as a punch, and I raced back up the stairs and into my room, dark now too, and pulled the covers over my head. I never thought you'd be the one worrying about ghosts, said Mom. The overhead light shone innocently in the morning kitchen. Mom was setting up the coffee maker. I'm not worried about ghosts, I said. It was just weird. Did anything like this happen when you were a kid? Mom reached out and tucked a curl of hair behind my ear. Yes, sweetie, she said. After my mom died, I was always waking up in the middle of the night. I thought if she could be gone, then anything can happen. And of course, after your dad died, you know for months I'd sneak into your room at night to make sure you were still breathing? I hadn't known that. After Dad died, I was so silent for so long that Mum almost stopped trying to talk to me. That's not the same, Mum, was all I said. 
I'm just saying the world can seem like a scary place, but we have each other, and we're going to keep each other safe. I promise. I wondered if her dad had said the same, and if it seemed as hollow to her as it did to me. The next night, I didn't sleep. I turned the light off and hid under the covers, playing games on my mobile, waiting. For hours, I twitched at every sound, but each creak and rumble melted back into the night. Around 2.30, though, something changed in the quality of the dark. I looked around the room. The little red light of the burglar alarm had gone out. I waited, listening. Then I went downstairs. The hall, the stairway, and the dining room were dark. But in the kitchen, all four coils of the electric stove blazed red-hot in the black. I turned the knob, but they were already set to off. The air all around the stove was hot and smelled like metal. A panic seemed to come into my body from outside like when a tornado came to the new cities and the sky was low and green and the wind smelled like ozone. Then the kitchen faucet turned on, all by itself, emitting a thick stream of water like someone was doing dishes, but no one was there. Before I could try to turn it off, I heard a crisp mechanical click and raced to the front door. Nothing I did to the knob or the deadbolt would open it. The automatic lock held it in place. I punched at the central control panel in the front hall. Still nothing. I ran to the back, threw the bolt and plunged out of the house. In the backyard I turned back to look, and all the lights in the whole house flashed once, then went dark. I ran. The yard turned to brambles, then to trees, and I plunged through them, tearing my sweats and skin on thorns and branches, panting, racing on. Where the woods broke open into someone else's backyard, I stopped and dropped to my knees. My legs were scratched, and my lungs were ragged. In the new cities I never had to run. I could hear dogs barking in the neighbours' houses. They must have seen ours light up like it was on fire. And it might be. If the stove stayed on, it might set all the cardboard and newspaper in the kitchen ablaze. And if the house could lock its own door... What could it do to my mom and brother still sleeping inside? I took three deep preparatory breaths and ran as fast as I could on my wobbly legs back through the gnarled trees and the thick bushes I didn't want to learn the names of, back through our silent backyard, back through the door and into the horrible house. The stove was off. The faucet was off. The kitchen was dark. I unbolted the front door and it swung open easily. I ran up the stairs and shook mom awake. Tessa, she said, rubbing her eyes and blinking. Why are you crying? These kind of night terrors are very common, said the therapist, especially in people your age. She was old and soft-looking, and I thought I would like her if I weren't so mad at my mom for making me see her. They aren't night terrors, I said. I'm not an idiot. I can tell when I'm dreaming. The dreams can feel incredibly real, and sleepwalking is a common feature also. I've never sleepwalked in my life, I said. 
The therapist nodded. She had a way of looking calm and accepting, even when she was about to contradict me. We often see symptoms begin in times of stress, and you've been dealing with a lot lately. You're still coping with the loss of a parent, and you just moved into the house where your grandfather passed away. I rolled my eyes. It's not like he died in the house, I said. The therapist opened her mouth and shut it. Her face looked less warm and more careful. Well, that's something you can discuss with your mom. What do you mean? I asked. Do you think he actually died there? It was such a long time ago, she said, looking at the clock. Your mom really is the person to talk to. Did you know him? I asked. She was old enough. I realised I'd never talked to anyone who knew my grandfather, except my mum and dad. He was a lovely man, said the therapist. The way everyone here treated him was just terrible. Where did Grandpa die? I asked Mum. She was driving me back from therapy. The leaves were turning. The town looked golden in the autumn light. I hated it. In the new cities, fall meant sneaking into Halloween parties at the clubs downtown when we were supposed to be studying. I never had to stop long enough there to think about anything I didn't want to. Oh, honey, said Mum. Do you really want to talk about this now? Where did he die, Mum? Did he die in the house? When she was sad, Mum sometimes made her voice very dry and matter-of-fact. I think she thought it would comfort us by hiding her feelings, but I always found it much scarier than tears. He died in the bathroom of the house, she said. He was about to take a shower. And how did he die? He had a heart attack. Still that dry voice. I wondered if she'd learned it from him. Are you sure? Did they do an autopsy? There were two coroners, she said. One of them said he had a heart attack. And the other? We had reached the driveway. Mum was still looking straight ahead. She thought there were signs of electrocution. We had all the wiring checked, but there were no shorts or anything. I don't think he was electrocuted. She was really young. I don't think she knew what she was talking about. I thought of the stove glowing in the night. What was he working on when he died? Mum's voice softened a little. She gripped the bridge of her nose with her thumb and forefinger, something we both did when we were tired. Oh, he was always puttering around, making computer simulations, but after the wars he could never build anything. It was illegal. What was he simulating? Microbots, she said. Tiny little robots that would work together to do tasks. He thought if he could make robots really small, they'd be safe again. What would those look like if he had made them? Like nothing, probably. Or maybe like really fine dust. I walked her through the whole house, trying to explain. But the dust was gone from the floor and the windowsill. The doors swung easily open and shut, and the stove remained obediently off until we turned the dial. See? said Mum, like I was a little kid she was trying to reassure. Everything's safe. 
It's not safe. Don't you get it? This house killed Grandpa. Just then, the new carpool dropped Nate off from soccer practice. He came running in, smelling like grass and kid sweat. What? he asked, looking at our faces. What happened? Your sister and I are just having a discussion, said Mum. Nate, why don't you go take a shower and change your clothes before dinner? Are you having a fight? he asked. Yes, I said. No, said Mum, drowning me out. We're just talking about a female issue. Ooh, 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 Nate yelled, clapping his hands over his ears and running up the stairs to keep from hearing about periods. I rolled my eyes at Mum's cheap trick. Sweetie, she said, I know this move has been hard for you, but we're here now and I need your help. For Nate, but also just for me. I need to feel like you're behind me. I'm trying to keep us from getting killed, I said. How can I be more behind you than that? Mum sighed. Orange light filtered in through the kitchen windows now, turning the sink and... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Bridge Autumn Gold. The stove slept ominously in the corner. I shut my eyes. I could feel something crawling below the surface of everything, smarter and more dangerous than bugs. At the end of his life, said Mum, my dad went a little crazy. He thought all kinds of people were after him. He was taking three different antipsychotic drugs. His hand shook constantly. He could barely make his own breakfast, let alone microscopic robots. So what, you think I'm crazy too? You think I got it from him? My voice came out of my throat so harsh and nasty that it shocked me. Mum's eyes went bright with tears. 
Please don't make fun of me, Tessa. I know I haven't always done the best job, but all I ever wanted was to make you feel like a part of this family. I was crying now too. My heart was pounding and my throat burned. I hated that she thought being a part of the family was something she gave to me, not something I got automatically, like her or Nate or Dad. Maybe I don't want to be, I said. Maybe now that Dad's gone and we're not a real family anymore, you should have to give me back. I saw her face for just a second, as terrible as it had been after Dad died, when I'd catch her sometimes with her eyes blank and glassy, like she was dead too. Then I turned and ran up the stairs to my room. In bed, I started to feel doubt getting under my skin. I knew I hadn't imagined the stove or the locks on the doors, but maybe they were just the natural malfunctions of an old house. Maybe the house would just keep throwing small, unfixable terrors at me, and I'd have to live with them until I graduated from high school, never feeling at home. I fell asleep and had angry, rushing dreams. I woke to the sound of water, not a drip or a leak. But a steady stream. I got up. There, in the hallway, was a pool of dark water, spreading out from under the bathroom door, reflecting the moonlight. I was about to slosh through it to get to Mom's room. Then I remembered Grandpa, and instead took a running start and jumped across it. Mom's room was cool and dark and smelled clean, like her skin had when I was a little girl. When I whispered to her, she shot up, eyes wide and frightened. What? What's wrong? You need to see something, I said. I led her into the hallway. She put her face in her hands when she saw the water pooled there. Oh no, she said. There must be a leak. That's the last thing we need. It's not a leak, I said. The door was cracked. I pushed it open from the centre, staying away from the metal doorknob. The bathroom was full of water. It poured from the faucet into the full sink and over the lip of the counter in a moonlit cataract. It was beautiful. My mum looked confused. Did someone leave the water on? She asked, more to herself than to me. Nobody left the water on, mum. The cockroach edged along the wall. I stomped behind it to scare it into the water. It stopped at the margin of the pool, feelers working. I stomped again. It shot into the water, and for a minute all its little legs flailed at once. Then it floated, dead. Mom looked at me like she was finally paying attention. We need to leave, I said, and she nodded. Nate was sleeping with his scrawny arm thrown over his face. Mom shook his shoulder lightly and whispered in his ear, "Nate, sweetie, we need to go outside for a minute." What? He said, still half asleep. No. But he got out of bed and let Mom lead him out of the room by the hand. In a few years, he'd be in high school, but I still remembered when he was a baby, and if you offered him your finger, he'd cling on for dear life. 
I didn't believe in God or praying, but I whispered, please, 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 as I put my hand on the handle of the front door. When it wouldn't move, I yanked at it angrily, like I could somehow break the lock. The back door was the same. What's happening? Nate asked me. Mum was trying the windows. All locked down, of course. There's a problem with the house, I said to Nate, so we need to find a way out. What does that mean? he asked. What kind of problem? When I was six and Nate was a year old, just learning to walk and point and call for me with his baby version of my name, some of my mum's older cousins came to visit. While Nate and I played with blocks on the floor, the woman said to mum, It's nice you have one of your own now. I saw mum start to get angry, saying something to the cousins I didn't understand. Then I stood up and faced the woman myself. He's not hers, I said. He's mine. We didn't play together any more, but I still knew him better than anyone. I knew he'd keep asking questions until I told him the truth. Not all of Grandpa's robots were destroyed, I said. Some of them were really tiny, and they got into the walls of the house. Now they control the electricity, and they're trying to use it to hurt us. Nate nodded, like none of this was surprising to him. So why don't we turn the electricity off? he asked. Mom was bashing a chair uselessly against the triple reinforced window pane. I touched her shoulder. Nate has a better idea, I said. The central panel was useless now, but the circuit breakers were in the basement. I flicked the light on easily. The robot seemed to have stopped playing with the lights for the time being. Maybe that had just been practice. The basement was cold and smelled like earth. It held an old laundry sink, a ratty yellow couch, and a little pile of mouse droppings in every corner. Their animalness reassured me. The circuit breakers were in a big beige box against the far wall. Inside were three long rows of switches, all identical, all unlabeled. Mum started flipping all of them. I listened for any rumblings in the house, any sparks or crackles or changes in the soft nighttime background noise, but I heard only the faint trickle of the faucet flooding the second floor. Mom flicked the last switch. The light stayed on. Maybe there's a master switch somewhere else, Mom said. Your grandfather was always jerry-rigging things like that. Or maybe the robots got to the wiring and made it so we couldn't turn it off. I said. What do we do now? she asked. I think we call 911, I said. Mom and I looked at each other. Neither of us knew what would happen if the police found out we had robots in the house. The laws passed after the wars allowed them to use any means necessary to destroy robots and anyone attempting to build or house them. If I could just find an override switch, Mum said, I'm sure he would have put one in. Fine, I said, you guys stay down here and look for the switch. I'm going to go up and make the call. I don't want to see what else they know how to do. Mum nodded. Be careful and come straight back, she said. I didn't roll my eyes like I usually would have. I will, I said. 
The sound of the water would have been soothing if I didn't know what it meant. I stopped in the living room. It was pouring bright and deadly over the stairs. I thought about what the house would look like if the robots took over. A lake in the hallway, mushrooms growing from the walls, and us somewhere turning into dust. I didn't like my chances if I tried to hop around the water. I went to the kitchen, where the boxes were still piled, and found the one labelled coat closet. I rifled through it, our old down jackets from when we used to go hiking, all four of us, in the mountains north of the new cities. Nate's tiny basketball jersey from three years ago. Dad's winter coat, still with the smell of him that made my eyes fill. I put them all aside and dragged from the bottom of the box what I'd been looking for. A pair of rubber boots. I still tried to hop around the water as I ran up the stairs, but when I heard it splash against my boots I didn't panic, and I made it to the top safely. My mobile was charging by my bed just where I'd left it. The bed was unmade and looked inviting, like I could just crawl into it and go back to sleep. I didn't. I dialed. The operator sounded sleepy. In this town, she probably didn't get very many calls. This is going to be kind of hard to explain, I said, but we have robots in our house. I heard a click and I thought she'd hung up on me. Maybe she thought I was a prankster. Then I heard a different voice, much colder and more alert. You're located at 4444 Pin Oak Drive. Confirm, please. Right, I said. Describe your emergency. Well, I said, my grandfather was a roboticist and this is his house and I think he left some robots here. They're really tiny and they got into the wiring. As I talked, I could hear the chopping of helicopter blades, far away and then closer. I looked out the window and saw a searchlight strafe the house. Are you here already? I asked. Remain calm, Miss Carroll. Do not attempt to leave the house until the officers tell you to do so. Find a safe location with your family and stay there. How do you know my name? I asked. But the woman hung up. I stared at the phone for a minute. The searchlight lit the window again. I knew I should be relieved that someone else was in charge now. But I thought of what the therapist had said about my grandfather and about how the woman had already known my name and I was scared. I took my mobile with me and ran down the stairs to the basement. The door was shut. I pushed it. Mom, I called. The house was silent except for the sound of water and a hot panic spread from my chest to my fingertips. Mom, I called again. I heard her then. Tessa, she called. We shut the door because Nate was scared of the water and it just locked. Are you okay? I yelled. We're fine, she said, but I could hear her straining to sound calm. I listened more closely. Under the steady streaming of water overhead, I could hear a more muffled sound behind the door. Mom, is that a faucet on? A pause. It is, but we're fine. We're far away from it. What did the police say? They're coming. They're going to get us out, I said. I wasn't sure how or even if the police were going to help us, but if Mum could lie to make me feel better... I could do the same for her. Just stay away from the water, I called. They'll be here soon. 
Where are you going? Nate yelled. Stay here. I'm just going to check things out, I said. I'll be right back. Outside the kitchen window, I saw fire trucks gathering. Then, an unmarked van pulled up, and ten people in dark clothes got out of it. Two of them were carrying what looked like suitcases. I remembered now a story I'd heard in the new cities about a young man in a bad part of town, somebody's cousin's cousin. He was a smart kid who didn't like following the rules, and he dropped out of high school to do his own thing. One day he disappeared. The rumour was that he was building robot parts. Not even intelligent machines, just remote-controlled arms and little rovers that darted across the floor. And some plain-clothes guys from the government showed up and said, Come work for us or go to jail forever. But there was another version of the story. One where the men from the government never talked to him at all. Instead, they set fire to his apartment with him in it, so that not even a part of a robot could make it out into the world. I looked outside at the fire trucks gleaming under the streetlights, as bright red as the day they came to my elementary school to take us all for rides. I thought again about the therapist. I wondered what the neighbours had done to my grandfather after the wars, after he came home from detainment already broken down and guilt-ridden and scared. Of course, he would have felt like he needed security. Maybe he built the microbots not because he was bored, not because he couldn't stay away, but because he needed to protect his house and they were the best way he knew how. But one of our problems with robots, one of the things that led to the wars, was that they always took things too literally. Maybe they not only protected the house, but protected the house from him. The stairs were completely inundated now, a waterfall pouring into the kitchen. I watched it as I opened the network app on my mobile and scanned for new names. I saw all the networks I'd seen before, and then a new one, called Home. That must be how the robots were talking to each other across all the different parts of the house. I started up my password app. Grandpa would have given his bots good security protocols, but that was decades ago, and cracking had got a lot more sophisticated since then. Outside, the plainclothes officers were talking to the firemen. One of them opened a suitcase. I couldn't see inside. But now I could see men and women crouching in the bushes around the house, all of them with guns. I took a deep breath, in and out, like my mum had taught me when I was little and afraid of monsters. I looked back at my mobile. I was in. I opened up the command terminal, and I could see the robots talking to each other, right there in my hands. They used a combination of letters and numbers, something they'd taken from my grandfather's natural language and made their own. I thought of feral children, left alone in the house for years after their parents died, speaking to each other in their own sing-song tongue. Deaf set vars, lock 88619. Deaf check, all, deaf close. Stat lock, 92, powered. Deaf, open. I wondered which of the lines scrolling across my screen were talking about killing me and my family. Under other circumstances, I would have wanted to learn the language. Now I just had to learn it well enough to wipe it out. I watched the screen, looking for patterns. 
The deaf terms looked like commands, although I had no idea what they meant. They probably referred to tiny movements I wouldn't be able to see, even if I could look inside the walls. And I figured that lock was location, but the robots clearly hadn't divided up the house the way people would. There were hundreds of location numbers, and only seven rooms. My only hope was to find a command that shut down all the robots at all locations, all at once. I looked outside again. The man with the suitcase looked like he was arguing with one of the firemen. A woman in black, tall, skinny, square-shouldered, she almost looked like me, was carrying her suitcase up close to the house. I typed the first thing I could think of. Deaf, stop, all. I listened for any change, any winding down of tiny motors in the dark. Nothing. I tried the door, still locked. I'd been stupid to think such a simple command would do it. And I probably had only a few more guesses left. If the other bots saw too many bad inputs from my mobile, they might spot it as an intruder and boot it off the network. I tried to focus. I figured my grandfather had been caught by surprise. He hadn't known what his robots could do, and he might not have had time to try to disable them. But I was betting that he'd taught them some command for stand down, long before they killed him. And I hoped they'd still responded to it. Out the window I saw that the argument was getting worse. The firemen had tears in his eyes. The other firemen were out of their trucks, standing motionless in a line, like some sort of ceremony was about to begin. Grandpa had been in the army, I remembered. Maybe they'd respond to military commands. I tried, deaf, at ease, all? Nothing. Deaf, fall out, all. Nothing again. I heard scratching against the side of the house. It sounded like while the fireman and the man with the suitcase were arguing, the woman who looked like me was quietly placing explosives all around us. Maybe I needed something more specific, something that told them we weren't a threat. That seemed complicated, though. I'd have to figure out how they referred to us, if they even had a term for humans at all. Deaf, ignore, all. Nothing happened in the house, but I thought I noticed a slight pause in the stream of code on my screen. And amid the commands, I started seeing lines like Deaf, debug. Lock 704. I was worried they were catching on. It's set, I heard a woman's voice say outside the house. And then from the basement, Tessa? Tessa? Nate's voice sounded years younger, like fear was pushing him back in time. I ran down to the basement door. Are you okay? I yelled. We're fine, said Mum. Her voice sounded far away like they were backed against the far wall. Are the police here? They're working on it, I lied. Where's the water? We're staying dry, Mum said. Then Nate yelled, It's everywhere! We're standing on the couch and there's nowhere to go! I imagined them trapped, huddled in the dark, while the water crept up to reach their skins. I didn't know what I could do, except try to soothe Nate as long as possible. I wanted him to feel like we were protecting him even if we couldn't. You're safe on the couch, Nate. You're going to be okay. Just pretend you're in bed and you're dreaming. Lay down. Lay down and rest. 
came to me then, like a door falling open. The thing Grandpa would have said to tell anyone, robot or human, so that they could stop fighting, that they were safe. I typed, deaf, lay down, all. A pause. I thought I heard a change in the sound of water. But then the commands began scrolling again, smooth as before. Tessa? Nate called again. His voice was quieter now, almost despairing. It's going to be okay, I said, but I didn't see how it would. I ran back upstairs. Through the kitchen window I saw the police backing away from the house. The fireman was leaning up against the truck, his eyes closed like he was praying. I wondered what it would feel like when the house blew. If it would be slow, the fire spreading towards us as we tried to crawl away. Or if we'd hear a bang and then we wouldn't exist anymore, just like that. I wondered if the robots would really be destroyed, or if they'd just lie low, waiting to come out until the next time they found a power grid and could start their work or game anew. I thought again of abandoned children, this time retreating to the woods, braiding each other's hair and singing to each other and waiting. I looked at my mobile screen and saw something different now. I saw terms repeating, some in pairs, some in threes, some appearing only together and never on their own. I'd forgotten that the robots weren't just issuing a string of commands. They'd kept talking amongst themselves long after there was anyone to tell them what to do, and they'd come up with a pattern, a language, a song. And you can't just start yelling into the middle of a song and expect all the singers to follow you. I watched the screen. Commands with all in them were rare, and whenever they popped up, they were preceded by three other commands. Def up all X-Vars, def up all Y-Vars, def up all Z-Vars. It was as though the robots were telling each other to listen carefully to what came next. I saw that command came in blocks, bracketed by def open and def close, and I saw that some commands, like def arm, which chilled me, def clean up and def build, were always repeated. It looked like the most important commands needed extra confirmation. I hoped I was right. I waited for the next def close and then furiously typed, def open, def up all x-vars, def up all y-vars, def up all z-vars, def lay down all, def lay down all, def close. Nothing happened. The string of commands continued as normal. I felt a terrible clutching in my chest, like all the air had been sucked from my lungs. And then the commands began to slow, from a steady scroll to a lonely line every few seconds, an outlying part of the network reporting in, then going silent. One by one, the robots stopped talking. I could feel it in the air, a tension releasing, the whole house settling into itself. And then, from above, the stream of water thinning, until there was only stillness, the occasional drip as the lake spread out and sunk into the floor, 
my brother called my name again. But I didn't go to him yet. First, I threw the front door open wide. I could smell winter on the nighttime wind. The fireman lunged forward when he saw me, pushing the man with the suitcase aside. It's over, I said to the men and women all gathered around my house. I put them to sleep. There you go, don't forget, copyright is Anna's. Anna, thank you so much for allowing Starship Silver to play this. And Catherine, what can I say? Thank you. And I'm now as well, just if you're interested, prepping everyone, all the kind of guests, for the SofaCon 2. I've been kind of doing all my testing just to make sure, or I'm in the process of it, just to make sure everyone's, you know, can kind of log on and, and check, and actually it works for them. Do you know what I mean? I always remember when I interviewed Larry Niven for, you know, like one of these video webinars. Man, he did. Well, he wasn't up there with technology. He might write about it in his fantastic novels, but certainly try to day-to-day living with it. No, no. Larry Niven didn't um, didn't hit the buttons, and it was a pretty, pretty... Ooh, it was quite difficult to try and get him up to speed to kind of log on and get a webcam up and running. But actually, we got there as well, so that was good. But... Like you see, I'm getting ready for Kickstarter, and Kickstarter couldn't have gotten off the ground if it wasn't for everyone that took a pledge. And again, Octagon Technology there took out the big pledge and got us sorted for that. A big thank you to Octagon Technology. So if you're looking for hosted exchange services for companies across the UK, do think about Octagon Technology as well, like a great supporter of Kickstarter and, you know, Starship's over. With Clive and Diane. Big thank you. Now, you'll probably be able to hear rustling. It's because... Can you, I've just come... Honestly, it's all just going now. Do you know what I mean? I've, got to, I've just took the dogs. Got me... You see me kind of waterproof on there. Which actually, it's just a wind kind of... Jack, well, that's what you're hearing rustling. So am I, you know, totally amateur <laughs> good attempt today. Sorry about that. So that is today's show. I hope you will stick around. <laughs> yeah. Do you need any more proof? I hope you've enjoyed it. Until next week, I would just like to say good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of This presentation has been brought to you by the District of... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.